Our call to worship this morning is from John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Continue reading in the New Testament, the letter to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, and to Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that On mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Beloved, our text for this morning is from Philemon, verses 12 through 17, picking up where we left off Several weeks ago, considering this short chapter, this short book, what comes to mind, children, when you think of a bridge? What would life be like without bridges? We wouldn't be able to cross the Grand River, for instance. 
one part of the city would be cut off from the other part. We, we felt that pain, didn't we, in the last years as both bridges were being repaired across the river, the I-196 west last year and now east this year. The headaches it causes for traffic, how it separates the city if those bridges are not functioning A bridge is crucial then for traffic patterns. If you're a history buff, you'll understand how important bridges were during World War II, how critical bridges were for supply lines for invading armies. If the bridges were out, there would be no advancing to the next step of the battle. Bridges were necessary to bridge mighty rivers, to connect cities, to connect troops together, to provide supplies. A bridge can span a vast and deep chasm, can provide a lifeline to a solitary cut-off island. A bridge is really a feat of human engineering, isn't it? If you think of all the bridges that you cross over, here in Michigan we know the mighty Mac, the Mackinac Bridge, a feat of human engineering, a large suspension bridge. Bringing people together, people who are separated by geographical barriers. A bridge is very important. But what about a gospel bridge? What about a gospel bridge? Because God calls his people to be bridges as well. To be gospel bridges. And of course, the ultimate gospel bridge is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He bridges the massive, unbridgeable chasm between God and ourselves. In his person and work, Jesus, as it were, lays himself down across that huge chasm between us and God, and he restores sinners back into fellowship with him. He, he pays for sin. He, he lays down his blood in righteousness as, it, as the foundation over which we can walk and be received back into fellowship. It's on the basis of his person and work that we are invited again to approach God by which God approaches us and draws us back into his presence, reconciling us through Christ and through Christ alone. But believers are called to be bridges as well at certain times and in certain places in the Christian life. Bridges between opposing parties, those who, who are at loggerheads, those who are living in animosity with each other, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in family life, whether it's in church life, whether it's out in society, in the workplace. Believers are called to be bridges to reconcile, to bring unity, to restore peace, particularly in the body of Christ this morning. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing in this letter, in these verses. He's, he's building a gospel bridge. He's laying himself down as the bridge between Philemon and Onesimus so that they can be brought back together. They can be reconciled so there can be peace between these two men 
where there was opposition before. But how does he do this? And how can we who are believers this morning do this in bringing opposing parties together, in in bringing back those who have sinned against others? Well, we'll consider that under our theme this morning, building or being gospel bridges. Building or being gospel bridges. In the first place, we build gospel bridges by being a gospel mediator. Notice that the theme and points this morning are qualified, are described by the word gospel. This helps us to understand that reconciliation and, and mediation, bringing together two people that are at odds with each other, can only be done and truly and deeply understood within the context of the gospel. Or we could say that reconciliation between believers needs to be rooted in the reconciliation, in the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ. That's how Paul approached the subject from the very beginning. He began the letter with gospel rhetoric. He appealed to the relationship between himself, between Philemon and Aphia and Archippus and the church at Colossae. He approaches them as brothers, as believers. The groundwork has already been laid vertically for them to pursue this peace horizontally. That, that relationship with God is there already. Paul reminds Philemon as he greets him, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We were reminded there, weren't we, of that, that vertical relationship. The grace and peace that flow down from God into the hearts of these believers. And so the mediatorial work of Christ, His reconciling work is the foundation, is the pillar, the structure that holds together the bridges of reconciliation that we are called to build. We can always reconcile, we can always implement some basic principles of reconciliation with unbelievers. That's possible. But if there is no foundation for our reconciliation in the gospel, if there is no real and true repentance and gospel reception, then horizontal reconciliation will ultimately be superficial or downright impossible. But if that foundation is there, of the gospel, then by the grace of God it will lead to the salvation of one or more of the parties as we apply these gospel principles. And so it's in the context of the gospel. It's in a relationship rooted in Jesus Christ that we are called to be gospel mediators this morning. The relationships that exist between believers in Christ, it's only there that true reconciliation has has room to grow and flourish and be successful. And so as we pursue reconciliation, we need to ask ourselves, who is it that we're pursuing reconciliation with? Are they believers? Do they have this relationship with Christ? Is gospel reconciliation possible in this instance? Or do we have to work in one or more of the parties so that God, by His grace, will bring them to repentance first? 
and then bring reconciliation. But it's in the context of the gospel that we need to understand and pursue building and being a gospel bridge. Our efforts at reconciliation within the body, within families, within marriages, within the workplace should be drenched in the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And the love and the tenderness of Christ. And so as Paul engages in this work of reconciling Onesimus and Philemon, he's, he's like a bridge that connects these two men. He's a gospel mediator. He's really a picture of what Christ is between God and sinners. What Paul is doing is simply putting the gospel into action. The gospel into action. He stands between these two men in verses 12 and 13. Prior to that, he's told Philemon that he's begotten Onesimus to life in Christ. He was used as an instrument in the life of Onesimus to bring him to faith in Christ. And now he's an instrument in God's hand to to work restoration and reconciliation. He writes in verse 12, Whom I have sent again. So he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Thou therefore receive, that is, mine own bowels. Paul inserts himself in between these two men. He acts as the bridge by communicating between the two. If Onesimus had written a letter to Philemon... This reconciliation may not have been possible. But Paul inserts himself. He's he's right in between. Not in a nosy, gossipy sort of way. No, he's there to, to bring reconciliation. He's there not to satisfy his desire to know what's going on. But he's there so that Christ would be glorified. He's working with Onesimus. He's seen spiritual fruit blossom in his life. He says to Philemon, receive my spiritual son back. He's been changed. It's on the basis of this change, Philemon, that you can accept him as your brother. He sends Onesimus back to Philemon to make things right. He doesn't want disruption within the body of Christ. He prepares Philemon to receive Onesimus, and now he calls Philemon to receive him back. And Paul increases the pressure in a good way as he says this, Receive him, that is, mine own bowels. And we saw, we've seen earlier already how the word bowels refers to the, the seed of the human emotions. The seed of of human affection and love. So Paul is saying to to Philemon, receive Onesimus just as you would receive my own love. Here I'm sending my heart to you in the person of Onesimus. And so when you see Onesimus, don't just see a brother who's wronged you. But see my heart in him. And receive him as such. Receive this runaway slave as the one who who holds my heart as he comes to you. My heart for, for both of you. Paul is showing impartiality here as he's trying to, to build the bridge between these two men. 
He's not showing favoritism to one or to the other. He's saying, my heart is for both of you. And so what he's saying here is not mushy, empty language. This is the language of gospel love that appeals to the heart and to the mind and to the affections of of Philemon in order to receive Onesimus back. It speaks to the, the strong bond that Paul had with Philemon, but also with Onesimus. Such bonds are real and powerful. When we invest in the lives of others and we see them come to repentance and faith, when we have spiritual children, as it were, we, we, we know the strong connection of love that is there, the love of Christ, the love of the triune God. The love that is cemented there through the work of Christ in their hearts. Such bonds are real and powerful. How can Philemon reject this request now? Will he reject Paul's own heart in rejecting Onesimus? You see how powerful, how forceful Paul's gospel rhetoric is here in his desire to see reconciliation. This request is not simply a false display to manipulate, but a statement of genuine gospel love to motivate to receive a returning prodigal. And we need to remember that in the back of of Paul's heart is the heart of Christ himself. As he intercedes and mediates for returning prodigals. In the heart of Christ, He holds those for whom He has died. He intercedes for them. He he reconciles them Himself to the Father. In a sense, Paul is, is borrowing language from Christ Himself and saying, Receive this one as you would receive Myself, O Father. It is this heart that Paul has. This heart that you and I are to display in this calling to be gospel mediators, in the process of reconciliation. We're called to stand in the gap between those who are opposed to each other, between the sinner and the sinned against, between the penitent and the one who is called to, to receive them back. In this principle of gospel mediatorship, operates within family conflict. Sometimes we're called to be the mediator between our spouse and our children. Sometimes we're called to be the mediator between our children. Or we need to be a mediator within the marriage of someone else. This principle applies to church conflict. If we're at odds with each other, we need such mediation to bring us together, to heal the wounds in the body of Christ, to strive for unity and reconciliation and harmony and peace. In the business world, sometimes we need mediators. There are people who have businesses Businesses of being mediators to bring together workers and their employers. 
But God also calls us to be gospel mediators within our own context at work, in our places of employment. The world is full of strife. The world is at war with one another. But God calls us to be gospel mediators, to to put in the hard work of being instruments in His hand to bring to repentance, but also to bring to reconciliation, to, to move to the next step after repentance. We do so by showing the heart of Christ. The deep bonds of Christ's love for those involved, we stand in the gap. We show our heart for both parties in an attempt to bring them together. We say to the one, will you not receive this other person as you would receive me? Receive him that is my own bowels. My heart has been transplanted as it were in this person. When they come to you, will you not receive them as you would receive me? You see, this takes the hard work of building relationships, of knowing one another, of being open and vulnerable with one another. This is not mechanical reconciliation. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes a tender heart. And at times, a firm heart. But as a gospel mediator, Paul demonstrates the value that both Philemon and Onesimus have for him. In verse 13, he says, whom I would have retained with me. Paul says, I I wanted to keep Onesimus with me. That in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. He would have rather kept Onesimus to minister to him in the place of Philemon. Now think about this, what Paul is saying here. Philemon was well known for his love, for his care of the saints, and now Onesimus had grown and matured to the point in a spiritual way where he could help Paul in the work of the kingdom. It's a statement of great praise. Onesimus could fill Philemon's spot at Paul's side in prison. He could could stand there in the place of Philemon. Paul's not kicking Philemon to the curb. No, he's saying, this is the value that Onesimus has to me now. I I would keep him. I would keep him, Philemon. This is how useful he's become to me. You remember that Onesimus means useful. Valuable. Both Onesimus and Philemon were now fellow workers in the gospel. That's what Paul is showing here. There's an equality here already that's, that's coming out, as we'll see in our last point this morning. Onesimus is a trustworthy brother who can help in the work of the gospel. And even though Paul wanted to keep him, he wanted reconciliation more. This would prove of greater value and witness to the work of the gospel than for Onesimus to stay with Paul and work with him in the work of the kingdom. And what does this teach us? God values reconciliation so highly that He would rather see two brothers reconciled than two brothers living separately and in an, in, in an irreconcilable state working separately in the kingdom. 
You see, God values reconciliation so highly that he would rather see two brothers reconciled than two brothers living and working separately in the kingdom. Why? Because the unity of believers is a powerful witness of who God is. As Jesus says in John 17, 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, in unity, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That principle of unity of believers runs through the gospel of John, of John 17. That the world might know that, that the Father and the Son are one. And so when believers are living separately opposed to each other, it's not, it's not living out what Jesus has prayed for. The gospel calls for unity. Reconciliation doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be working together in the same place again. Reconciliation means that they've been restored in their relationship. There's nothing that divides them anymore. And God may call them to go their separate ways and to work separately in the kingdom. But not when the relationship is separate from one another. And so this unity that, that Paul is pursuing, that Jesus prayed for, is this unity of, of internal, of spiritual union, of relationship. And right now, what Paul is pursuing, that relationship is not there yet, visibly, between Philemon and Onesimus. And so Paul lays himself down as that gospel bridge, as the gospel mediator. He inserts himself. He says, both of you have value. Both of you are gospel workers. But let's work together before we work in our separate spheres. We are called to be gospel mediators. And so build a gospel bridge. We also do so by building a gospel partnership. Paul stands in the gap. He's communicating between these two men as, as the mediator. He represents Onesimus before Philemon. But he also draws Philemon into a gospel partnership to do God's work of reconciliation in the body. Notice how he does this in verse 14. He writes to Philemon, he says, But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. Paul is concerned here with Philemon's heart in the matter. He does not want Philemon to reconcile with Onesimus simply because he has to do it. Forced reconciliation is not reconciliation. Children, you know what that's like, don't you? Your parents... They tell you to say sorry to your brother or sister. And you say, well, I'm sorry. That's not reconciliation, is it? Reconciliation is, I'm sorry for hurting you. Will you forgive me? You might embrace, give each other a hug, 
But then you go and play together. You do things together again. It's not just muttering, I'm sorry, and moving along. No. It's seeking to rebuild that relationship. Being kind to each other instead of tearing each other down. And so Paul wants Philemon on board as a willing partner. Not someone who simply grudgingly says, I'm sorry. Paul wants a willing recipient on the other end. He's aimed at the best possible benefit for Philemon. Really, the most benefit from reconciliation is received when the one sinned against willingly engages in the process of reconciliation. When the one sinned against engages willingly in the process of reconciliation. That's when there's the most benefit for both parties. The person who is the sinner, the one who is, who is repentant for their sin against the one whom they have sinned, may long for reconciliation. But it really hangs, doesn't it, on the one who has been sinned against. Are they going to show reconciliation? Are they going to receive this brother or this sister again into fellowship with themselves? They've been wronged. They've been hurt. Injustice has been done. How will this breach be repaired again? Can we see light at the end of the tunnel when we've been hurt by other people? That thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. Philemon, won't you come along as a willing partner in this reconciliation? Not because you have to. There is that. Because you want to see this relationship restored again better than it was before. That's possible. Did you know that? Sometimes in the brokenness and the messiness of human relationships, we look at them and we say, how in the world can these two parties be reconciled? Decades and decades of hurt and anger and brokenness. Is it really possible? Yes, and better than before. Because it's gospel reconciliation. And where the gospel is, there is hope for restored relationships. Verse 17, Paul again refers to this this gospel partnership with Philemon in the restoration of Onesimus. Again, it hangs on him, on Philemon. Paul has inserted himself in the equation He's represented Onesimus. He's asking Philemon to be a willing partner. He's done everything that he could. He notes the spiritual change in Onesimus, the usefulness of Onesimus that he's had for Paul and now could also have for Philemon. He notes how Onesimus has ministered to him and his infinite value in the work of the kingdom. And so Paul, in a sense, is saying, we're partners here in prison, Philemon, Will you not partner with us in this work of reconciliation? Verse 17, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Again, Paul does not merely say, Philemon, you have to receive Onesimus because I say so. Again, he's coming in low like we've seen all along. He banks on this gospel partnership and he says, receive him as myself. 
As this letter comes to you, Philemon, you're going to see, Phile- uh, see Onesimus behind that letter. He's going to hand it to you. This letter is coming with him. He's coming to you. And when you see him, what is your reception going to be? Will you see a slave who ran away from you, who stole from you, who wronged you, who sinned against you? Or will you see Paul? Paul the aged, Paul the prisoner. Paul the apostle. Receive him as you would receive me. In the warm bonds of gospel fellowship. I'm sure it didn't happen outside of a conversation between Philemon and Onesimus when Onesimus arrived on his doorstep. They had to talk through things. They had to communicate with each other. But Paul is laying the groundwork here for that to happen. He puts his own reputation on the line. He calls Philemon to be a partner in the work of God. Because that's what reconciliation is between believers, isn't it? It's the work of God. Philemon, partner with me in the work of God. Maybe you've been sinned against again and again and again. Will you be a partner in God's work of reconciliation? If there's penitence, repentance, contrition of heart, will you not receive the penitent back as myself. You see, building a gospel bridge looks for willing partners. It engages those who are sinned against. A mediator appeals to them and says, won't you join me in God's work of reconciliation so there can be unity and harmony in the body again? If you have a hard time receiving this person, think of the mediator who's coming to you. The one who has a relationship with you, the one who you respect and and love and care for. Will you not receive the the returning penitent? Just as you would receive that mediator. Forging a strong gospel partnership. And fellowship in the gospel is key to receiving a penitent back into the fellowship of the body. This is how we build a gospel bridge, by being a gospel mediator, by, by building a gospel partnership. But thirdly, also by maintaining gospel perspective in the midst of, of conflict and sin. What is the easiest thing that we can see? What's the thing that is the most apparent in conflict? Husbands and wives in marital conflict, what's the first thing that you see in your partner? The easiest thing. What's the easiest thing that you see in your children, parents? Or in a coworker? It's sin, isn't it? We gravitate towards the negative. We, we want to see what we want to see. And the easiest thing that we can see is sin. 
We focus on that. We, we narrow in on that. And that's what we see. And it's true. Sin does lie at the heart of every interpersonal conflict that we have. Conflict is the result of sin. You see that in the beginning of Scripture in the Garden of Eden. Satan came. The first sin brought conflict between Adam and Eve and then between Cain and Abel. And we do need to see the sin that lies at the heart of these conflicts. God does not call us to overlook sin at all. That's not what I'm calling for this morning. Sin must be dealt with in all its theological, social, and personal dimensions. Sin is devastating. It needs to be dealt with. But when a penitent returns... And reconciliation is being sought between the sinner and the sinned against. For the one who is sinned against, it's easy to focus on the sin, on the hurt and the injustice done to us. And when we focus on the sin, it's easy to think, well, that person is just going to sin against me again. What's the use of reconciling with them if they're going to do that again? That's not what Paul sets before Philemon, though, in the case of Onesimus. He doesn't highlight Onesimus' sins, nor does he pass over them. I'm sure in that prison cell he's dealt one-on-one with Onesimus' sins. But listen to what he says in verse 15. For perhaps, therefore, he departed for a season. Thou shouldest receive him forever. Let's keep sin in perspective. Sin led to his departure. His departure for a season has led to his spiritual birth in Christ, to the Holy Spirit. When someone departs in sin, sins against us, sins within the church that require the discipline of the church. These are painful things. These are hard things. We can focus on the sin itself or or the person who has sinned. Let's keep this perspective and pray that the departure of a sinner would be for their spiritual good that God would bring them back. When someone comes confessing their sin to us, our spouse, our children, whoever it is, let's keep this in perspective. That when God worked on them, He brought them to repentance. God worked in them spiritually so that we might receive them, not just temporarily, but forever. Where spiritual change has occurred There is this forever reception that Paul is speaking about. Sin caused Onesimus to depart for a season, but now he's returning to you so that you might receive him forever. 
The gospel has worked a radical change in his life. His, his temporary departure means that when you receive him back, you've, you've gained a brother for eternity. That's the gospel perspective of building gospel bridges. Have you ever thought about it that way? About reconciliation? Have you ever pursued it in that way? That a person's sin, though devastating and painful, that it might be God's way of bringing them back eternally and forever. That when they return with a broken and a contrite heart, can we learn to see what Paul says here, that though they departed or sinned against us for a season, yet with their return and our reception of them, we have gained a brother or a sister or a child eternally, forever. we pray in that vein, leaving church this morning? Or will we gossip and speculate? Or will we pray together, Lord, those who have departed from us, those who have sinned grievously, let this departure be temporary, O God. Bring them back so we can receive them forever. That's how we need to pray. That's how we need to pray for all interpersonal conflict within the body. To maintain the gospel perspective that God is at work. Onesimus was chastised, he was disciplined. It wasn't easy for him because God was at work in his heart. Discipline and chastisement are never easy. But if we gain a brother or sister for eternity, if we can maintain that perspective and how we speak with each other and how we pray with one another, Who can tell what God will do in healing relationships and restoring sinners to the body of Christ? And fourthly and finally, we're to build gospel bridges by recognizing gospel equality. The last verses of our text in verse 16, in particular, Paul lays down the principle of gospel equality. A principle that elevated both Onesimus and Philemon above the social distinctions, the social structures of the Roman Empire. Because here we have a, an owner of slaves, and here we have a slave. The one was, was above the other in Roman society. Philemon owed Onesimus nothing from that perspective. What Paul says, receive him, not now as a servant or a slave, but above a slave, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Modern eyes look at this verse and say, well, Paul is a social justice warrior. We hear a lot about social justice 
in the church, in the news today. Everyone has to be a social justice warrior to make the world more equitable. Modern eyes look at this and say, Paul is a social justice warrior. He sees Onesimus is more than a servant. He's, he's striking at the heart of, of Roman injustice, the Roman injustice of slavery. Well, in a sense, that's true. But Paul doesn't see himself as a social justice warrior. He sees himself as a gospel warrior. He's done the hard work of preaching the gospel to Onesimus, being used as an instrument in the hand of God to, to bring spiritual change to Onesimus. He brings the gospel, which he says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The gospel is at work in this context. It's worked this profound change in Onesimus and in Philemon and in Paul. So when Paul writes to Philemon that he's to receive Onesimus, he's not making a plea based on the principle of equity in what Philemon owes Onesimus. Paul is not destroying the institution of slavery per se. He's not going after slavery per se as an institution. But if the gospel is the power of God into salvation, the gospel also will change the social structures of the day. That's what we need to remember. It's not changing the social structures first. The whole idea of social justice today is based on the principle of equity. It would argue that what Philemon has, Onesimus should also have in terms of status, in terms of money, in terms of freedom. The principle of equity. Onesimus is entitled to all the things that Philemon has because a grave injustice has been done to him because he was a slave. Owned and manipulated by Philemon. But Paul doesn't make that demand, does he? He doesn't make that demand because he's pursuing social justice. And Onesimus requires restitution as a slave. Paul calls for Philemon to receive Onesimus back because of the work of the Spirit and the power of the gospel that has changed both of their lives. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that has elevated Onesimus above the status of a slave. It's the gospel that destroys these walls and social distinctions that we have crafted in our minds and in society. Paul says, receive him, not now as a servant, but above a servant. Not now as a slave, but above a slave. Social justice can never achieve what the gospel achieves. 
No human philosophy can ever achieve what the gospel achieves here. Because the gospel elevates every human being changed by the gospel to the position of equality in Christ Jesus. The position of equality that Paul highlights here is that of brother. Philemon is to receive Onesimus as a brother, a brother beloved. A challenge, no doubt, for Philemon. But because of the change that has happened in the gospel, because of the gospel, because of the work of the Lord in Onesimus and in Philemon, they are now brothers. Onesimus is a brother beloved to Philemon. Paul's not put off by the fact that Onesimus is a slave. He sees through the social constructs and distinctions. Those social constructs destroy and diminish the value of a person who is created in the image of God. That's another thing that the social justice movement misses today. That every human being is created in the image of God and already has infinite value. How much more the gospel brings up this equality of of human beings. It's what Paul affirms in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. It's on that truth that Paul is calling Philemon to receive Onesimus. He is one with you as a brother beloved. Not a slave. But a brother. Here is true freedom for Onesimus. True freedom. Spiritual freedom that most likely led to his freedom within the household of Philemon. The gospel will change the way that Philemon and Onesimus relate to each other. Because of this principle of gospel equality, there will be a corresponding gospel effect where things that are unjust will be addressed. The gospel will do those things, and that's why we need the gospel today. Not philosophy that argues for for equity between people but the gospel that argues for equality for people created in the image of God and and so much more for people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. An unjust master who is changed by the gospel will treat his servants and employees differently. A useless slave will be transformed into a useful worker. Both are brothers working under the same Lord and master. The key is to get the order right in this modern phenomenon of social justice. The gospel preached faithfully and received faithfully and lived out faithfully will change things from the inside out. Think of the times of revival in this country and how it changed the social order. Think of the gospel when it came to the shores of this land. Yes, there were things done that were not right. But by and large, when the gospel came, the gospel came to all men who lived on the shores of this land and worked change from the inside out. Because it's the gospel that elevates people above social designations and designates them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Receive him, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. We don't look down on returning prodigals. 
We don't look down on the, pre- on, on the penitent. A gospel meteor says a returning penitent is a brother. Paul says he's a beloved brother to me. I've grown to love this man in the Lord. How can I not when, when the Lord's work is evident in him? I've grown to appreciate his gifts. Receive him now just as I've received him as a brother beloved. And besides, to you he's a brother beloved. Twice over, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He's your fellow human being, Philemon. But now he's also your brother in the Lord. A double sense in which Philemon is to receive Onesimus. He's your equal twice over. Created in the image of God. And redeemed by the Son of God. You see, this helps us to understand and think through the issues that we face today in our culture. A culture calls for equity without equality. Without recognizing the equality that we have as human beings. The gospel goes one step further. It says that those who have been redeemed share an even greater equality in Christ. Society calls for equity, a giving to others what is deemed to be rightly theirs because of an injustice done to them or because they have been oppressed in some way. And you know there's a grain of truth in that. Because repentance will seek restitution. Think of Zacchaeus. When Jesus called him down from the tree, what did he say? I'm going to restore fourfold to those from whom I've stolen. Repentance does have restitution. But Scripture calls us to view others as equal. In the image of God, in the image of His Son in redemption. Equality rooted in the gospel. Social distinctions are superseded by the work of Christ and the power of the gospel. Someone who has a different skin color or a different culture or works in different places, different occupations, blue collar, white collar, doesn't matter. We have infinite value before God as we stand before Him as our Creator, created in His image. He's our judge. In the gospel, that equality is even more pronounced in all those who are one in Christ Jesus. Only when this gospel equality, when the the work of the gospel has taken effect in hearts and lives and reconciliation has been pursued, does interpersonal reconciliation and justice follow. We need to take Paul's words to heart. Receive one another as equals. As brothers and sisters in the flesh created in the image of God. Elevating us above social distinctions. But how much more in the church. Those who have been redeemed by Christ. Are loved by Christ. And beloved of one another. And so we build gospel bridges by implementing this principle of gospel equality, by recognizing the need for the gospel to work. 
Brings us full circle, doesn't it? Back to where we began. But this work of reconciliation needs to be pursued from the standpoint of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's doomed to failure. It's doomed to worldly philosophy that will ultimately fail and leave people miserable in its wake. Where one injustice is supplanted by another injustice. We build gospel bridges by inserting ourselves into those relationships that are broken. By building a gospel partnership, by seeking willing partners on both sides of the equation to bring them together. By maintaining gospel perspective that God is at work even in the midst of difficult and challenging and messy relationships when we can't see through points of departure or for a season so that we might receive brothers and sisters forever. But also by recognizing gospel equality. That when we receive a brother or sister, we do so on a double level. As created in the image of God and as recreated into the image of His Son. Beloved, where do you need to be a bridge this week? Where can you lay down yourself and show the heart of Christ? To be a mediator, to restore, to bring back into fellowship and reconciliation. Maybe you're here this morning unreconciled to God. You've heard about gospel reconciliation. You've heard from the outset how Jesus Christ is the mediator, the bridge between sinners and God. It's through Him that God invites you to be reconciled to Him. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ constrains Him. Be ye reconciled to God through Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word and how it, how it challenges us. We don't like to be challenged. We love our comfort zones. We want to stay in the well-worn paths of holding a grudge. But we're so foolish in thinking that holding a grudge and harboring a heart of bitterness is the easier path. But Lord, show us how a heart of bitterness will actually destroy us in the end if we refuse to reconcile. If we refuse to be reconciled to Thee, first of all, but also refuse to be reconciled to others whom we have sinned against or who have sinned against us. 
And so, Lord, let thy word come with its surgical precision this morning. Cut away hearts of bitterness. Cut away hearts that are full of grudges. We pray that those who have been sinned against would be ready to receive where gross injustice has been done, be ready to receive upon repentance. Lord, we pray that thou wilt work in our congregation, in our church family, so that relationships will be restored even better than they were before. For where the gospel is, there is hope. This morning we are not without hope. We pray that thou wilt work then through thy spirit, through those who are gospel bridges, through those who seek to build those bridges and be those bridges themselves. Bless their efforts. Lord, use us then as instruments in thy hands. Even as those bridges that, in a sense, bring others to Jesus Christ as the great mediator, Lord, we pray that thou wilt help us to see the great need of the gospel, not just as a church family, but also as a culture and society that is dying, that is blindly following the philosophies of man that, that might hold grains of truth, but ultimately end in imposing further injustice Lord, in society's attempts, we recognize the groping after Thee, the reaching after Thee. And so, Lord, in a sense, we live in the best of times to bring the gospel, which contains the answer that our world so desperately needs. And so use us as lights and salt in this world. Lord, bless us then, we pray, in the forgiveness of all our sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen.